Hello friends, welcome to the show. I'm Tom Broback and my guest today is Dr. TJ Gridley. Dr. Gridley works at the same company I do, Twin Cities Orthopedics. In this episode, we talk about his experiences learning about the human body through sports and his academic path. A big focus in this episode is on leadership and communication, two traits that are imperative for excellent care. If you are in the Twin Cities and are in need of orthopedic care, I highly recommend you make an appointment with Dr. Ridley. Thanks for listening to the show, and as always, share this episode with anyone you think would benefit from learning from one of the best sports medicine surgeons in Minnesota. Let's go on to the show. How was your day? Were you in clinic or you, what were you doing today? Yeah. So most of my days are split half and half. So I'm in, I'm in clinic for half of the day and then surgery for the other half of the day. Uh, so today was pretty much no different. I was in clinic this morning and then surgery this afternoon. So, and, um, yeah, okay. it was good. What kind of surgeries, uh, do you typically do during the week? Yeah. So it's definitely a combination of elective surgeries and then more like urgent type, you know, trauma type cases that are at the hospital. So I still take, uh, quite a bit of call. And so with that comes, you know, broken bones or, um, you know, infected wounds, like other stuff you see on call. So, um, a good chunk of my practice is managing that over at the hospital. And then the other chunk is, you know, the elective stuff where I see somebody in clinic first, we try to walk them through all of the different sort of conservative management options, physical therapy, injections, you know, yada, yada. And, um, then if they don't do well from that, or they don't improve, or they're just not where they want to be at, and there's a reason for surgery, then we sign them up for surgery. So. As a surgeon, what are some aspects of surgery that you really enjoy that the typical person uh, might not know or might not think of? What do I enjoy as a surgeon? Um, I mean, I... What I really love about surgery is that I get to, you know, I get to work with my hands. I get to fix something with my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, other medical doctors, they get to fix it with, you know, medications or things like that. And I just, I'm very hands-on. I like the idea that like my hands are creating and, and healing. Um, so I, that's what I really like about the surgery aspect of it. I would say the other big part I, I really enjoy is sort of the, it's almost like the, the athlete game preparation kind of mindset where I really like preparing. I like to come up with step-by-step and the game plan for the surgery. And then I like sort of, you know, then, then sort of game time. And then afterwards sort of reflecting, like, how did I do, how did I, did I prepare enough? Did I, did I think about the right things and how did I perform the plan that I came up with? Uh, so I, I like that aspect as far as like surgery that maybe people don't think about as much. I've never thought of those two being correlated where like, here's the game plan, here's the game. And then let's reflect on the game. And, and we do that with sports all the time, whether we're sitting at home on a couch, watching our favorite NFL team, or if we're an athlete or a coach and we're going through the process. Uh, but it seems like you've applied that to your career. Um, a lot of different uh, medical professionals I talk to, they usually have some kind of experience growing up 
where they were injured or they knew someone in the medical field. And that kind of kickstarted them onto that career path. Did you have a story similar to that? Oh, for sure. I mean, like you said, I think almost everybody, especially in orthopedics, has some sort of sports injury that sort of propels them in. Um, and certainly I was no different. I, you know, played a bunch of sports growing up, had broken bones. Um, so, I mean, the, the kind of the first was when I was in sixth grade, I broke my leg and that sort of kind of got me kind of, actually, I was kind of a rambunctious, non-academic uh, kind of kid. And then when I broke my leg, I had nothing to do with my energy other than start studying. And so from then on, I actually like started making grades and like actually doing well in school. Um, and then when I was in high school, I had um, a torn labrum in my shoulder and I went through kind of the whole, whole deal, the physical therapy, sort of talking the details of the surgery. And I just thought it was so cool. Like I almost wanted the surgery because of like how cool it sounded. Like I wanted these little like suture anchors and all these little tacks and repair and all this kind of cool stuff. Long story, I, I didn't end up having the surgery. I saw a second opinion, got through it with the physical therapy, but that's definitely what started me on the path of like, God, this stuff is just cool. I like that. I like that. I think a lot of people have that initial like, oh, here's the exposure. Um, but a lot of people are exposed to injuries or to surgeries and not everyone becomes a medical doctor, a surgeon, a physical therapist. What were some other things in your life that kind of kept you coming back to, I want to practice medicine. I want to have impact in orthopedics and in the sports medicine field. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was just a, a culmination of just everything. I mean, I really loved anatomy. I loved just like understanding the biomechanics and how the anatomy correlated with that. Um, and then kind of when I got more exposed to the field of orthopedics, I really loved just the concept of enhancing people's life and enhancing their quality of life, not just, you know, you know, extending their life or increasing the quantity of life. Uh, so that's what really sort of got me into, into orthopedics. And then of course, coming from the sports background, I just, I felt like I could empathize so much with athletes trying to get back. Cause I was, felt like I was always banged up with something. And so I was always in the training room, always with the therapist, always trying to like work through different injuries. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I just, I just felt like I could really empathize with a lot of the athletes. You mentioned you played a lot of sports growing up. What were those sports? And then how long did you play for? And how did that kind of impact the person you've become today? Yeah. Um, so growing up, I, I mean, I played everything when I was a kid, right? Everything except for basketball. I'm terrible. Oh, at basketball. you missed out. <laughs> I mean, at my height, I, I just can't, I just wasn't in the cards. Not to interrupt you, but I definitely, like I'm five foot eight. I definitely should not play basketball, but I did because I loved it so much but I was not the, uh, the best suited for that from a height perspective too. So I, you might've been, uh, made better decisions than I did growing up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, then in high school, I basically narrowed it down to uh, hockey, football, and lacrosse. Um, so definitely a lot, you know, busy year round. And then I went on to college and played hockey and football just cause I, I couldn't choose. I had to, I had to choose two. I couldn't still do three. Uh, so I, I landed on those two. Um, but, uh, 
yeah, I mean, they're, you know, them being team sports and then also them being pretty, you know, demanding contact sports. I definitely think that's kind of developed a lot of who I am. Um, I mean, I love working with the team and, and kind of back to your question about what do I like about surgery is it, it's mm-hmm. very much a team environment. Um, so I, I love being a part of a team. I love uh, all those aspects. I love being sort of on the leadership side of a team. It's sort of as a surgeon in the room, you're kind of always, you know, look to as sort of the leader of that team. Uh, so I've definitely carried a lot of those things that I've learned, uh, from athletics into, you know, my profession as an orthopedic surgeon. Can you break down into detail, like who encompasses your team? I get a lot of questions as a therapist, like, Oh, my surgeon's not available or, Oh, I saw their assistant. And I don't think the average person understands the whole makeup of, of the team that, that is there. Uh, you know, before surgery, during surgery and after surgery. So you kind of break down all the positions of that group. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it takes a village. It is a team effort for sure. Um, So I definitely lean a lot on my team members. So um, I have, I have a PA, not everybody will have a PA, but I have a PA. So that's, that's my physician assistant. He's just kind of like my right-hand man. So he's in, in the operating room with me. He is, he's literally my third and fourth hand to help me moving things around or sewing things or passing things or whatever it is. Um, and then he's also, you know, with me in clinic, calling patients back or, you know, reviewing medications, MRIs, all that kind of stuff. He's just, he's an extension of me. Uh, and then I have a clinic assistant, which is an athletic trainer by training. Uh, so he kind of runs and manages the clinic. He rooms the patients. He gets a good history from them, figures out kind of like, do they need an x-ray? Do they not? kind of, uh, you know, gets some of their, their history, their records. So he just kind of keeps the clinic flow going. He also does all of my casting and bracing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, then I have a scribe with me in clinic. So that's cause I'm too lazy to type now. Um, so I have, I have him with me basically to help document and again, help the efficiency with clinic. So he's able to then put in orders for medications, physical therapy, referral, imaging, all that right there in real time so that nobody forgets it. Things are like moving and efficient. Um, and then kind of behind the scenes, I have a clinical coordinator, uh, and she does all my scheduling for surgery. She's calling all the different surgery centers or hospitals. She's calling the insurance, the work comp, the, she's on the phone trying to refute insurance claims and like, make sure people are, you know, like they're getting their prior authorization. She's calling patients back when they have questions about their scheduling, about the surgery. Um, and then we have, you know, the gals at the front desk uh, at the clinic kind of meeting and greeting people. Then kind of going to the operating room side. I mentioned I have my PA with me all the time. Then we have a scrub tech who's with me. It's not always the same scrub tech and it depends on the facility that we're at. Um, and then we have, so we're, we're the kind of the three sterile people, uh, you know, with everything, you know, the gowns and the, you know, all that kind of stuff you see maybe on TV. And then in the background, the non-sterile members, we have a, a nurse. She's able to run kind of in and out of the room if we need more supplies, if, she, if we need to hook things up to machines and whatnot. Then there's the anesthesiologist. There's a nurse anesthetist. Um, so it it takes a village. That is that is quite the village. You almost got a full football team there. Holy cow. That's um, right, yeah. But that's what it takes to have a successful medical practice and to give patients the best care possible. How do you view your role on the team? And do you like the kind of the pressure that it brings of being 
kind of the face of, of the surgery because you're, you're the lead surgeon. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, my role is definitely being the leader of the team and you definitely, and it's, it's something I learn and, or I'm, I'm learning and I, I intentionally seek uh, learning opportunities. And, and I work actually with a, a professional coach or a, um, a leadership coach, if you will, um, just to continue to learn and develop those leadership skills. Uh, I mean, I was a, I was a captain on teams and I've been leaders of other things, but being a leader in sort of this professional medical setting is just so very different. Um, and so it's definitely something I am learning and developing. Um, and it, you know, it's, it is a lot of pressure. You got a lot of people who are looking to you for answers and, and, and trying to, to, with all the same goal of trying to take care of the patients and give patients the best care that they, they, they deserve. Can you point to a specific leadership quality that you have developed over the last several years that has really uh, impacted the way you've been able to help not only patients, but the care team that you work with on every day? Yeah, I think for me, the number one thing is, is communication. And, and with that is, is availability. So being available to communicate and to talk, whether it's answering emails quick or hopping on the phone real quick. And that has to, you know, that's with calling my coordinator right away or emailing back and forth or responding to patients when they have questions or concerns, um, calling people right away with their MRI findings. I mean, just being available and, and being able to communicate with people, um, I think is, it's, to me, it's one of the simplest, but most effective ways that you can be a leader of your team and people aren't afraid to come to you to ask questions and bring up problems when they happen. I, I'm so glad you brought this up because I've tried really hard to be very respondent, uh, both to coworkers and to patients when they send me emails or give phone calls, because I think people really appreciate when you make an effort to get back to them as soon as reasonably possible. The downside of that though, is there is, um, this kind of pull to always be checking your phone, always be checking email, always, uh, making time for others and not always being able uh, to focus on yourself or to shut it off when you're away from work. Have you struggled with that at all? And if so, what have you done to kind of help with that? Yeah, I certainly struggle with it all the time. Still do. Um, it is just such a hard balance to find, right? You, you want to be available, um, 24 seven and people want you to be available 24 seven, but certainly you have to find those ways to step away. And, one of those thing, one of those is, is, you know, having a PA, having the right team members who can fill in for you when you're not available. And so my, my PA, he, he, you know, he knows, you know, what, you know, what my preferences are, what, you know, a, a lot of times what the answer is when there, when a problem comes up. So he doesn't, so I don't have to be directly available all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I certainly, I try to just be intentional about the times that then I can step away. So putting the phone down, putting the other room, I do a lot of the do not disturb on my phone um, when I get home um, or at night or, or just like being intentional, having those set times. Uh, my wife and I have just every week, once a week, we have our date night and it's, you know, no phones. We, we don't necessarily go out. Sometimes we cook in, but we just have that intentional scheduled time that's just us, no phones, no nothing. I've tried to do that more lately with uh, like my workout schedule where it's like, this is blocked and I treat it like work. 
Like I can't just leave. I can't just skip. I can't just cancel. Like this is uh, a necessary part of my, of my day and my week, because this is why I need to be successful. And it sounds like you, you and your wife have found a way uh, to do that with your, with your day night and with your free time. Uh, and, and it seems like from your social media too, that you're quite the outdoors person too. Like you like to get outside, be active outside. And it's, and it, it's so awesome to see that, um, as, especially as a PT that I know, uh, the, the, the surgeon in my, in my community is making an effort to have this work-life balance and he's not working all the time. He's taking time with his family. He's taking time to be outside. He's taking time to exercise. He's values those things. And I think that would ultimately make you uh, not only a, a better person, but a, better at your job as well. Yeah, I like like you with the workouts. I I told my wife when we first started dating. I said like these are part of my workday. Like I'm on my way home, but I'm going to the gym. Like this is part of my work schedule. And and I, I it's maybe not every day like I want it to be or like it used to be, but. I definitely set aside that time also just for me to make sure I'm doing the things and doing my self maintenance and my, um, what makes me happy and what fills my cup. When work gets really stressful or overwhelming, or you just have a lot going on, uh, do you find yourself, um, having a lot of help from that structure or do you find that, uh, possibly, the structure starts to fall apart and you just kind of put it aside and get back to it later. Are you able to navigate those waters or has that been a struggle for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it definitely, I would say I, I just, it's, it's one of these where it's like, I've been doing it for so long where schedule is always chaotic. Mm-hmm. There's no set schedule. You're on call, things get added on, things get canceled. And I think I've just been doing it for so long that it's just kind of like, I, I just kind of have learned over time, I think, to roll with it. Absolutely. Being that kind of flexible, uh, responding to adversity. I like to tell people I'm, I'm consistently, or I'm inconsistently consistent. I'll work out three <laughs> times a week, but they're not going to be Monday, Wednesday, Friday. They're not going to be the same lifts. Like it's, it's always going to vary just with the nature of my life right now with, with family stuff, with work with uh, social obligations, things like that. Um, I could be a little more rigid and that could probably have some benefit too, but I think that ability to be adaptable, especially in this day and age, uh, bodes well, both on a a personal, uh, and and professional level, uh, for both of us. Now I wasn't getting on the podcast with talking a little bit about PT. Um, so from a surgeon's perspective, what do you find helpful from a rehab standpoint? And we'll start with there. What do you find uh, that PTs do super well to make your life easier? Um, I think a lot of times what is really helpful or where PTs can really have so much influence and impact on patients is simply the the extra time you get to spend one-on-one with that patient. Mm -hmm. I get to spend time, you know, if it's a new patient, maybe 30 minutes, maybe longer if it's complex. But then after that, the appointments are fairly, you know, short, 15 minutes maybe. And you guys get, and, and it's spread out. It's, it's maybe once a month, you know, it depends on the cadence and what the problem is, but you guys get to see them potentially twice a week for an hour per time. So you guys get to spend so much more time 
not only getting to know them sort of on a more personal level, but then also getting to know sort of what they're dealing with as far as their problem and their issue. So you guys, you know, I, I do a physical exam, sure. But like you guys get to do like physical exam after physical exam after physical exam. And you guys can really monitor like, where are they at? Where are they progressing? Are they not? Cause like I maybe did looked at your shoulder range of motion last month and I'm, you know, I look at my notes and I try to, you know, put as much accurate documentation as I can, but then I see you a month later and I'm trying to remember where exactly was that spot you were having pain? Mm -hmm. Like, is that gone? Did it move? And so you guys can really like help me in communicating and saying, Hey, they're doing really well, but they're really still struggling with this one little thing or this one exercise. I think it's, I think it's their subscap. I think if we just keep working on it, strengthen it, stretch it, you know, like you guys get to see them so frequently and in mm-hmm. over an extended period of time that I think you can really learn and understand what they're going through even more than I can. I laugh sometimes because patients will complain like, oh, I only saw the surgeon for, you know, this one visit or, you know, I didn't get to talk to him as much. And then I'll ask them like, well, did you like, have you emailed them? Have you called them? I've like, you made a follow like, no, no, no. And it's like, well, let him know like how you're doing. Let his team know how you're doing. Like they want right. to hear from you. And then it kind of switches the flow. Like, oh, I, I guess I could reach out. I guess I could go in for a follow-up or I could, I think a lot of people only want to know when things aren't going well, but it's like, tell them when you're doing well. So they know that like the, the, the process worked, that the surgery worked, that the, that the whole medical team is doing the right things. And I think some of that uh, educational piece, uh, it, it's getting better, but can still can continue to grow. So patients understand that like, this is a whole team thing, but we only know what you're telling us. If you don't tell us anything, right. it's going to be tough to, uh, to, to make those connections that we're trying to do. Right. Um, so going back to kind of the outdoorsy, uh, exercise related, you had a lot of experience with, uh, us ski and snowboarding. Can you tell me a little bit how you got interested in that? what your involvement is and kind of your backstory there? Yeah. So, uh, it was a fortunate, uh, part of being, uh, at the Stedman clinic where I did my fellowship, uh, in Vail. Uh, so they have just, you know, a long, rich tradition of involvement with the ski team makes sense. They're at the base of Vail mountain. Um, but so, so that's how I got uh, tied into it. So, as, as a fellow there, you, you, you get, uh, you go through their special on mountain training course, you're part of the ski and snowboard, you know, physician pool. And, and then you get to go on a couple of, you know, trips, whether it's training or competitions to go cover their events, uh, and go cover the athletes. And then we also get to cover because they do a lot of their training right there in Colorado. We get to do a lot of coverage locally for their, their training as so we get to kind of know them throughout the year. Uh, so it's, it was something that I was super, super excited about going there because I, I love skiing. I love snowboarding. I've always been interested and involved in it and around it. And, and then, then you get to treat these athletes and they're, they're just remarkable athletes. I mean, they train so hard. I think, especially with the, like the snowboard side of things and the sort of extreme sports, I think they get kind of a bad rap of being sort of the bad boys or, um, you know, sort of being that personality, but then when you get to meet them and get to know them and behind the scenes, I mean, they train hard and they are pushing their bodies to the limits and they're tough. 
And so they're just fun athletes to treat because they, they want to do everything to not only get back from a little injury, but then get that extra edge. So, so they're just the best patient you could ask for because they want to follow exactly what you're prescribing them, mm-hmm. but then they want more. Like they, they challenge you to be like, well, what else can I do? Like what else is out there? And I'm like, let me, let me look into it. Let me learn about this thing that, you know, you, you heard about or saw it in a different country because uh, they get to travel so much. So it was just such a cool opportunity and just so rewarding to treat them. I agree with you. It's so much fun when a patient asks that like next level question where it makes you, oh, I didn't think of it that way. Let me look into it more. Let me ask somebody. Let me get back to you. It shows that they're involved in what's going on with them, that they care about the the, the care that they're getting. Um, but like most Minnesotans, like I'm a huge fan of the Winter Olympics, which are coming up here. And it's so much fun watching uh, ski and snowboard, just the dedication that they have, like the mastery of their craft. But some of their injuries do seem pretty severe. And in the Olympics, you only see this little snapshot of, of you know, a couple runs or, uh, you know, a couple events. But I'm sure in the day-to-day training, there's so much uh, uh, just risk-reward analysis, of so much like going out, trying it, coming back. How are you feeling? How's it healing? things like that, that it must've been just like the most amazing educational experience for you out in Colorado. Yeah. I mean, it really was. And and when you have these athletes who are so motivated to get back and then when they get back, they are testing your surgical repair or whatever it is. I mean, to the limit. And so you really have to be perfect on your surgery. And then you have to always continue to try to advance the the rehab protocols and advance the the techniques you're using in the operating room so that whatever you're doing can withstand the force and the energy that they're going to put on on whatever you're doing for them so it really just pushes you as a provider to to keep advancing and improving all you know all aspects of their care uh coming through on the both the surgery and rehab side uh you talked on your social media on Instagram about having your own hip surgery kind of somewhere at the beginning of COVID. Can you detail how it was being on the patient side, both for the surgery and for the rehab? Like talk me through that. Yeah. Yeah. So I had, um, I had, uh, both my hips scoped for labral repair. Um, and yeah, f- kind of fortunately it, it, I had kind of sort of had it scheduled and then COVID hit and it actually worked perfectly as far as like work and training schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, I was still in bail for my fellowship. So, uh, being on the patient side, I mean, I spent how many years of school and residency and training and fellowship. I learned way more in the eight weeks or whatever that I was really into like patient recovery mode. I learned way more in that time period than, than, the 15 years or whatever it is of the other education. I mean, uh, of course, I, I, I'm so glad I did it for how I feel now and the activities I can get back to, but I am even more glad I did it just for the experience to be on the patient side of things. I mean, everything from, you know, when you get your IV started and you get to the operating room and then you're in the recovery and then coming home with all the different like medications and, and ice machines and all this stuff and trying to like teach my wife, like, how, you know, how all this stuff works and really seem like even I didn't understand some of this stuff and like mm-hmm. the handouts, learning how important some of these handouts are and how we can make those better. And then being in the physical therapy room every day for 
eight weeks. It was, I mean, I had always had respect for therapists, but man, being down there every day and seeing their, their training, their skills, their capabilities, I was, I was blown away. I didn't know how much and how good like therapists are and how well-trained they are. I, I, I truly underestimated it. It was just so cool to be down there every day. Uh, and I just, man, I learned so much from that experience. Every time I get frustrated with a healthcare question, or I've been to PT myself for a couple of different orthopedic conditions in the last several years, whenever I get frustrated or I, you know, like I, I want to be better tomorrow and I kind of step back and be like, wow, this is how uh, a normal patient feels. This is how like, they must be 10 times confused because they don't even know uh, anything about healthcare. And I kind of know a little bit more every year that I'm in it. Um, so it's awesome to see that you had, you know, unfortunately you had to have a surgery, but you did, uh, make the best of it and gain that knowledge onto not only, um, how does the system work, but like, how does my patient actually feel when I follow up with them? How do they feel when they're going through rehab? How do they feel when they are evaluating? Is this surgery, uh, was this beneficial or not? Um, so I'm glad to see you had such a phenomenal experience, uh, as a patient, um, going through that, that label, uh, label repair. Um, another thing I want to talk about at, uh, so we're both, uh, employees of Twin Cities Orthopedics and the, the motto there is be the difference. And we can embody that in so many different ways, whether it's through our words, through our actions, through our, uh, commitment to our craft. What are some ways that you've taken on yourself uh, to be the difference uh, while you've been at TCO? Um, well, I mean, I think a big part is just continue to develop my leadership skills of, of my team and my peers. So, I mean, one thing I did, and actually this was, uh, I kind of stole this from my, my brother-in-law and some of the other the people in the business world of, of having sort of a, a, a leadership coach. Um, and so, uh, I work one-on-one with this guy, with, with, with a, a guy I was referred to, and it's really done. It's just been amazing. The things you can learn about managing people. Um, and it's just things that you never really, at least in medicine, never really get taught or really exposed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's certainly one thing I'm doing to try to sort of make the difference within our company. Um, and working with employees of different training, different backgrounds, you know, all that. And so, um, that's something I'm really trying to push for because I think, especially as doctors and as surgeons and especially as orthopedic surgeons, we, we, we think we know how to do this and be the leader, but we've never really been taught it or exposed it to Mm -hmm. it. So, um, I guess that that's one way I'm trying to do it, at least within our company, and then, you know, with my patients, I'm, I'm always trying to, to, to better my techniques and my knowledge. Um, I, I, I'm probably once a month, maybe twice a month in, in going to various labs to just perfect and, and or develop new techniques. Um, I, I listen to a podcast every day in the car uh, from various different, you know, orthopedic podcasts just to continue to learn and advance and develop my techniques and my knowledge base and diagnostics and, and just try to stay on that cutting edge. One of those techniques that I've noticed that you use is the 3d software. Can you talk about how you're introduced to that and now how that's helped your practice? Yeah, I, um, 
it has been, it's, I, I kind of hate this term because everyone says it, but it's been a game changer for my practice. Um, I mean, being able to see something in 3D and plan the whole surgery before I even get in there. And what I mean by that is I can choose what different implants I want and the position of it and rotation and size. And, and I can do the whole surgery over and over and over again and play around with different things so that when I get to the surgery, it's, it's game on. It's, it's the game plan that, that I've developed, you know, throughout the whole week going into the game. So um, it is, it's really just changed everything about the way I can prepare for surgeries. And I, and I truthfully think that it really improves the outcomes for patients because I, I know exactly what I need to do before going into the surgery. And it's the technology keeps just advancing and, it, and they keep making it easier and easier to do this kind of thing. Um, I mean, I was first exposed to it in, well, probably in residency, we would get CT scans of certain fractures, and, but you'd have to specify 3D reconstruction. And then they would, the radiologist or the tech would, would do it for you. They'd program it for you. Now it's so simple. I have a software on my computer. I can just load almost any CT scan into it. And then I can play around with it and I can manually move and manipulate it. Uh, so it just becomes easier and easier and more and more accurate to do. So that's I'll, incredible. I'll keep using it. What kind of surgeries is that best for? Uh, that's a good question. I would say the main things I use it for right now are, are my hip scopes and hip arthroscopy. So I'm able to get 3D you know, images and then I can get heat maps. So the biggest part, probably the most important part of hip arthroscopy surgery is decompressing the bone that's impinging on each other. Like we talk about the labral repair and all that kind of stuff, but arguably the most important part is shaping and reshaping that bone. So these heat maps can tell me exactly where there's overgrowth and where the bones will impinge because they run a 3D model to see where the bone's going to impinge. I can't see that in a static CT scan where everything's right. just sit there. Mm -hmm. They can run, you know, modeling to see where is the impingement going to occur in, in active dynamic motion. Um, so that is tremendously important to know where, you know, where is the impingement? I just got one of these hip maps last week and looking at the x-rays, I would have not thought I needed to address a certain part of the, um, of the acetabulum, the, the subspine. And I got the heat map and it was like, Oh, wow. Okay. I, I totally would have underestimated that without this planning. Um, and more and more we're understanding that area of the, of the hip is really important to decompress when there is impingement there. So, um, this, the, the other way I've been really utilizing it now is, well, uh, is I do 3d planning and then I can print three, you know, I can 3d print different guides and jigs that, that help me execute the procedure as planned. So, it, I mean, it's one thing to, to, to plan and play around with the CT and, and know what you're going into, but then how do you execute that plan perfectly? Mm -hmm. Well, now I have, I can print off 3d guides so I can plan, I can do the surgery exactly as I planned it. With no, no guesswork. Wow. That is, I'm just like thinking that through my head and some of the videos and pictures that you posted, it's just, it's such an incredible uh, technology that anyone would think, you know, from the outside, like, wow, this has to be super helpful because like you said, uh, a 2d image is helpful to a point, but it doesn't show 
how that joint is going to move in three directions or in three dimensions, like it does in everyday life. And, and you want the best care uh, for your patients. And it seems like that's kind of where the industry's headed, where here's this new technology. How do we implement it best? Um, and it seems like you're doing that a lot. Is that common for a lot of surgeons to be using this 3D software? Is this something kind of new that you've stumbled onto? Yeah, I'd say it's pretty new. I would say, and it's, I mean, it, it may be, and maybe it's more of a generational thing, but I would say, you know, people who have, have gotten trained around this technology are, I think, more apt to sort of, you know, learn about it and use it, whereas maybe other generations just aren't, or, you know, that's just not the way that they have done it or trained or, there's also a thought that like, well, I've, I've done it this way and I've had success. So I'm going to keep doing it this way. Well, I guess I'm, I'm under the, the thinking that like, we can always get better. And we know that the accuracy of some of these cuts and angles and implants are more important than we even thought. So it's really important to get it right and get it right the first time. And using these implants and using the software, once you, once you do it, I can't imagine going back now can't imagine blindly going in and, and trying to figure out my angle of, of what I want without having it just perfectly planned out. How many surgeries do you typically do in a week, like in a given week? Yeah. Um, it's a good question. It totally varies. And yeah. then the number of surgeries, it also varies because some of the complexity of the surgeries vary. So, I mean, um, I, I'm in surgery pretty much every day. Uh, I mean, you know, I do a half day clinic every day and then the other half is surgery. Mm-hmm. And I'd say most days I have at least one surgery okay. and some days I may have three and it just, like, some of it just depends on the complexity of the surgery, how long it's going to take and how much time do I have. Can you give an example of a more complex surgery? Yeah. So, um, both tomorrow and Wednesday, I'm doing um, uh, some multi-ligament knee reconstruction. So one of them involves, you know, ACL surgery is pretty kind of standard bread and butter. But then once you start mixing in other ligaments and meniscus repairs and all that kind of all together, then, then that's where the complexity adds. So I'm doing an ACL and LCL reconstruction. And then the next day doing an ACL and a posterior lateral corner reconstruction. Um I've got in a couple of weeks, uh, an osteotomy, a, a tibial osteotomy with a cartilage transplant. Um, I've done a, a, some complex open shoulder surgeries, uh, reconstructing the bone and the glenoid. Um, let's see. Um, yeah, I would say, I mean, it, it, it always, it, it's, it's always varying. It's always week to week different. And then Cause then I get complex trauma cases. So, you know, last week or two weeks ago, I had a complex tibial plateau fracture. Uh, so it's just, and, and that's, what's, what's pretty fun about this stuff is it's, it's just, you, you're always surprised. There's always complexity around the corner. And just when, just when you think you might be getting bored of your good old ACL and you, then you get surprised by a meniscus tear, or another ligament tear that, that you find when you get in there, that kind of thing. I like that you brought up that word surprise. I just had a patient in clinic. He was a total knee replacement. He was doing super well, like one of the best I've ever had. And then he goes home, gets an infection, 
haven't seen him in a couple of weeks. Uh, he's been, been taken care of, but it, uh, you just, it always keeps you on your toes and just keeps you uh, being grateful for when the things go well and it keeps you wanting to learn more, staying on the cutting edge like you're doing uh, so you can give the best care possible. Thank you, Dr. Ridley, for hopping on the Tom Broback podcast. I really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for sharing your stories. And I look forward to collaborating with you down the road, uh, hopefully on a personal level, but definitely in a professional setting as well. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Tom.